Hello, and welcome to Magic Academy. Today we're going to be discussing about cheaper options to get into magic, and we're going to be talking about beginning players getting into magic. We're going to talk about some of the basics, and we're also going to end up talking about some ways that, that you are able to save money as an adult, and as a teenager. One of the first things is that we all know that Magic has a huge, huge, huge player base. And many, many people love to play the game. But the game is a very expensive game. And the cost of the game can sometimes be a bit overwhelming for people who don't have a job or for teens that do have a job but are focused on saving money for college or whatnot, especially for like newer players. They don't want to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So the first option I'm going to talk about is the pre-constructed decks. Pre-constructed decks are usually pretty decent. At least the ones that have come out recently have been alright. Of course, they could always get better. Now, these are usually less costly than building your own deck. And they are usually pretty good to play. Um, I personally like using pre-constructed decks as a base and then building on top of them. But I know other people who have just bought them and played them how they are. Which is fine. It's all fine. Um, it's also a cheaper option because then you have the base of the deck and you only need the upgrades which you can buy singles of and it really makes things nice and easy for you. Now, along with that, there's also Card Kingdoms, um, decks that they offer that are like $10 decks. I think some of them are themed and then it's just like a very, very base casual deck. Um, and I think they're modern legal. I'm not sure about that, but I believe that they are. Um, and those, I've had friends that have them, and they work pretty good when it's all together. So if a bunch of your friends and you have it, and you just want to play some nice casual game, that's nice. Or if you want a nice base to start it, it's also a good base to have to start. Along with that, pre-constructed decks can give you cards that you may not need and you can use for trade. Which brings us to option number two, trading. Trading is probably one of the greatest things that this game has, and... You know, you have a card that you need, someone else has that card, and, you know, you have cards that they need, so you would make a nice trade, and then you would both be happy and set. Now, trading, I would say, is probably one of the best options to do if you have the cards to do it. If you don't have the cards to do it, then try to get the cards to do it. And I'm not saying, like, go buy expensive cards. If you open a pack or go to pre-release, or if you are given a bunch of cards, or if you buy some bulk, sometimes they have some rare diamonds in there, and it can be really cool, um, but usually things are just how they are. Trading is my favorite thing to do, because it's pretty simple, especially when I am on a community that has that available to me, and has so many players on it, and so many of them trade, so it makes it really easy Shout out to the Magic the Gathering Amino community. Amino does not sponsor this podcast. Um, but that is where I really got my love into Magic. So if you want to go hop into that community, go ahead, hop into it. It's pretty great. Um, we're all friendly there. None of us bite. 
and now back on to track. So, another thing that you can do that isn't an option I've mentioned is Magic Arena. Now, I'm not a huge fan of Arena, and I definitely think that they could do better, but I do like how newer players can get into it easier, and it's kind of more accessible. You do really have to grind on it to get some of the things, though, which is a downside. You have to work for the booster packs, which is a downside, because you only have the cards that you open in the booster pack. And sometimes you're not as lucky. <sighs> but, you know, there's a lot of support for it, and... If a newer player just wants to come in and you guys want to test it out, well, Arena would probably be a great start for you to start at um, before you blow money on paper actual cards. Because once you blow money on paper actual cards, it kind of gets addicting. I will say that I am not a fan of the um, online gathering, Magic the Gathering games usually, because I prefer to play on paper, physical, face-to-face -face with people, because I feel it's a better experience. And when things are a better experience, you know, they stay in your memory more, and they kind of become more fun once you have an actual person-to-person. -person. Um, another thing that you can do to save money, especially when it comes to, like, the gadgets that you need, you know, deck boxes, binders, other things like that, you can make them at home. Or on Etsy, you can get them for cheaper things, like, you can make your own deck boxes, you can use an old binder and then buy the 25 cent um, binder pages or whatnot. So you, instead of spending like 20, 25 bucks on a actual binder, you're spending zero money on a binder and like, what, three, four bucks on just some sleeves that you, uh, some binder sleeves that you can just put into the binder. Um, so it's a really, really good thing that you can do to just go ahead and make your own stuff. It's a lot cheaper and I do it. Um, because I don't have much money. <laughs> um, another thing that you can do is you can go ahead and buy singles. Now, I'm not saying go spend $127 on a single. That is not saving money. You can buy certain singles that are under an amount of money that you want to spend. And that's a lot better than opening packs, because you're getting a card that you need, and packs are kind of risky on how much you're going to get. Packs are also good, though, because if you get a card that you don't want, you can go ahead and put that into your trade binder, and then you have trade fodder. Or if you get a really expensive card, you can always sell it and do a couple other things with it. But usually, I'd say buying singles are amazing, and is the best option if you are building a deck. Now, for newer players getting into the game... I'm going to first talk about the basics, the fundamentals, the very, 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 very basic things in the magic community. The magic community is a very large community. Um, it has female and male players. There's so many people in it, and we're all really, really cool people. I don't think I've ever met a Magic player that has been, like, not okay with me or, like, gets super pissy at me. Um, usually they're fine. Like, I've met many, many Magic players, and usually they're all like, oh, hey, you play Magic? Cool, cool. No, I play Magic too. Um, if you're a newer player, sometimes the older players will help you out. 
it's a really nice community to be in. Not at all toxic, and it's lovely. Now, for the very basic fundamentals, you should know that there are five colors, and each color does a different thing. They have their strengths and their weaknesses. I've mentioned this before in my last podcast when I was talking about commanders. Um, if you want to get into commander and you want to know about the monocolored commanders, you should go listen to that one. But this one today, I'm speaking about the basics and what each one does. So first, I'll start talking about white. You'll notice that in every single podcast I'm going to do, it will always go white, blue, black, red, and then green, because that's the order of the colors. The colors will always go white, blue, black, red, and green. So first, we'll start off with white. Now, this information, to make it easier for myself, I took from the MTG Fandom Wiki, um, which I recommend people to go check out if they're basics um, or if they need help with the basics. The MTG Wiki does a pretty good job covering it. Um, And most of the stuff I'm going to be saying will be paraphrased from it. So, white is the color of order, light, and healing. Um, White creatures usually lay down the law and enforce it. Many white cards represent night castles and soldiers. There's also angels, which protect the sky, and clerics that protect the weak and injured. It is not a necessarily good color, though white will often present itself in that way. White started as the color of protection, defense, healing, and other such passive things, but over time it retained this flavor, but it also adopted the militaristic side, using groups of smaller soldiers and holy wraths of mighty angels. It doesn't go right for the kill, as uh, the more aggressive colors might, but it prepares itself for the inevitable conflict. Um, It is a very good color that deals with having lots of life. As I said, it... um, As the article said, it's very good at protecting itself. So there's lots of wraths. There's lots of buffing things. When I say buffing, I mean it gives gives creatures other abilities. It gives, um, you know, lifelink vigilance or plus one plus one counters. It's really good with that stuff. Um, So if you want to play something that is like soldiers, knights, angels. If you want to play cats then white is where you go. Now, before we go on, I'd also like to mention that you can play more than one color. You could play all the colors, a rainbow deck. You could play white and blue. You could you could play any combination of any colors that you want. You could play five, four, three, two, one color. It does not matter. There's so many things you can do with it. I'm just talking about the colors as themselves and as basics, what they usually include um, and what they usually will entail when you are building that color. Now we're going to go on to blue. Um, This information is also coming from the MTG Gamepedia. Blue is one of the five colors of mana and magic. It is drawn from islands. That is what the mana is called. So you will say you are playing an island, and then you will tap it for blue mana. It embodies the concept of logic, technology, and seeks perfection through knowledge. A lot of things will have to deal with artifacts or counterspells and whatnot. The mana symbol for the for blue is a drop of water. Uh, for white, it's a sun. On the color ply is aligned with white and black and is the enemy of red and green. 
Blue's philosophy, like that of each color, is determined by its worldwide view. To blue, the world is opportunity. Within it hides wonders and possibilities more fantastic. The stuff of dreams. Blue is characterized by the desire to know the world's secrets and to make those possibilities real. So a lot of blue is going to be looking at opponents' libraries, scrying on your own deck, which means to look at a card and either put it back on the top or put it on the bottom of your deck. There's also um, looking at your opponent's deck, looking at their hand to see what's in it. Um, counter spells are very popular in blue to counter certain actions that are happening. Um, blue holds... Uh, it can easily make a blank slate. It holds the blank slate really easily. Um, Blue believes that all things being existence blank without destiny or purpose. Um, there's the mastery of possibility of essence is exactly what Blue pursues. Thus, Blue comes to the prize of a knowledge. It is a lot of just knowing your opponent's stuff. There's also a lot of exile things that can go on in Blue. Um... There, yeah, it's basically the deck that screws with your opponents. The blue is the color that will screw with your opponents. It will make your opponents go crazy because you'll be doing all this crazy stuff yourself, either countering their stuff, looking at their hands, looking at your hands, scrying through your deck, um, like putting out all this crazy stuff that has whatever that's unblockable, and it's it's a really really fun color. Um. Found in blue, usually, the mechanics are um, change of control effects or stealing. So you take another creature from your opponent's battlefield. I didn't mention that one. That is one that blue does a lot. Library destruction, a.k.a. milling. Um, if you're milling an opponent, it means you're taking their card, putting it into their graveyard, and you just keep on doing that, and you can also do it to yourself. Uh, mimicry, which is to mimic your opponents, so you can have certain cards that copy your opponent's board state. Um, power reduction, you can give minus one, minus one counters and make it, um, make it, like, less power and less tough. And returning permanents to hand, you take the permanents and they go back into your opponent's hand. It can be very annoying if it's a high-costed creature or one that your opponent needs to make their deck go off. It can also tap and untap permanence, so you can tap someone else's permanent, um, so that they cannot attack you, they cannot block you, and there are other cards that will make it so that they can untap everything, or a creature, or lands, or whatnot that's on their battlefield. It's a very manipulative col um, color. As I said, it usually goes in with um, artifacts. I know a lot of blue artifact decks. I also know a lot of colorless artifact decks. There's a lot of opportunity with blue. Um, a lot of people I know play blue as well. Alright, so the next color on our list is black. And again, I got this stuff from the Magic the Gathering fandom wiki. Um, I will be paraphrasing it and also adding in my own information from my own experiences. So, black mana comes from swamps. Um, that is what they are called. And it has a little skull symbol as its mana symbol. Um, things fester and rot. There's lots of death, disease, selfishness, power at any cost. Um, and there's the twisted values of darkness. 
Black magic is powerful and easy to wield, but it comes with a high price, usually having to do with sacrificing things or having to kill off other things from an opponent's board, uh, things like that. So, black is a fairly simple color to understand. It focuses on winning at all costs. It could be very simple or it could be very abstract, though it's an aggressive color and it focuses on manipulating the opponent at any cost. Um, its creatures usually don't fight other creatures because black's fear ability allows it to bypass all non-black and non-artifact creatures. So, what this is talking about is that a while back there was a ability released called Fear, and it would make it so that all your creatures could attack unless there was something that was black or an artifact that could block them. So, black loves to destroy, but also likes to create. Um, it's usually run by zombies, nims, demons. Um, there are some dragons, imps. Um, it's all the things you would see basically in the grave, like skeletons and whatnot. And all this stuff is either trying to hurt your opponent or you're sacrificing something and then it's going to do something in your graveyard or it's going to do something to your opponent. Um, it all really just screws with your opponent and, um, while you're going off and (laughs) just sacrificing stuff. Uh, sacrificing stuff, destroying other things, and, like, pinging your opponent for damage. Um, black will do absolutely whatever to get the upper hand, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have limits. Um, so, black is one of the colors that it will have a destruction spell, such, um, it'll have a destruction spell, and... You know, as an additional cost, you'll have to go ahead and sacrifice one of your creatures to destroy one of your opponent's creatures. It's kind of like the saying, an eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. That's kind of how black plays. Um, So, as I said, black does a lot with sacrifice. It does a lot with its graveyard. It does a lot with, like, negative counters. Um, In black, there was also this thing called infect, which was if your opponent has 10 or more infect counters, um, you win the game. It is usually um, a color that doesn't do well late game and goes off very well in early game or mid game. But I've seen some decks that work well for late game too and are actually late game black decks. Um, Animate Dead and Zombify are two graveyard things that they can work with. Um, and it's all pretty great. So, those are, um, that, that's usually what black does. Some things that happen are death touch, which is, if you have a 1-1 death touch and someone has a 5-5 and you block with the death toucher, well, now that other creature's gonna die too because it has death touch. So, that can be very helpful to have at times, and it can be very fun to play with, um, and as I mentioned before, when I was talking about white, you could combine all these colors, you can do a whole bunch of different color combos, and that is perfectly fine to do. Next color that we're going to talk about is red. Now, red is one of the five colors of mana and magic, as I stated before. It is drawn from the mountains. Um, it has a little fireball symbol on it. Um... 
in the color pie, it is allied with black and green, and its enemies are white and blue. However, that's just the flavor type things. So, for more flavor, red is the color of emotion, impulse, and action. Red sees things in terms of doing, not thinking, and would sooner act now than wait and think about its actions. It does a lot with instance and sorceries, which are two of the card types in magic. Instance can be played at any time during anyone's turn. Sorceries can only be played during your turn. Red is one of the colors that has a thing called burn, which is dealing damage fast to opponents through instants and sorceries or other creatures. It is a very, very fun color. It's a very aggressive color, and it's a very, very um, fast color to work with. So, red cares little for slowness or control. Blue cares for control a lot. Blue is a very controlling color. Red would rather just get things over with and fire at will. Red has things like haste, which is basically your cards don't have summoning sickness. Summoning sickness is when your creatures first enter the battlefield, they can't attack or tap if they have a tap ability. Um, However, if they have haste, then they can, and it basically gets rid of that. They also have first strike and double strike, Double strike means that they hit twice. Um, so if you have a 3-3 three, three with double strike, it's going to hit your uh, the creature that's blocking it, or it's going to hit the player twice, dealing a total of 6 damage. Um, first strike is going to be, if you have a 3-3, three, three, someone else has a 4-4. Four, four. Well, your 3-3 three, three is going to hit first. Or if they have a 4-3, let's say, and you have a 3-3, three, three, well, then your 3-3 three, three is going to hit first, and then the 4-4 would be dead. So your creature wouldn't die. Um, Flying is usually uh, seen a lot in the dragons that Red has, which Red has a lot of dragons. Um, And that just means that they can't be blocked other than with creatures with reach or other flying creatures. Um, Trample is also a ability that they have, which just means if you have a 6-6 that's blocked by a 4-4, well then whatever damage is left over, which in this case would be 2, is going to be also dealt to the other um, player. So, card drawing, along um, along with blue-red also does a lot of card drawing and can draw cards pretty easily. There's a lot of combat effects that can go on with red. Um, direct damage, is something that Red does really well with either Shock or Pyroclasm, which are two of the instants and sorceries. Um, that kind of fu- uh, fuels stuff. Um, sacrificing at the end of turn is also a very popular thing. Something like Kiki-Jiki makes a token you'll sacrifice at the end of turn. Land and artifact destruction, it is very good at removing those types of things. Um, and mana production. Now, many people won't think like, oh, red, mana production. That's usually a green thing. It is a green thing. Green does it really well. But there's also many things in red that can produce a lot of mana, too. There's many mana dorks in red that produce red mana. Um, so overall, red is a very aggressive color. It's going to want to hit, hit, hit. It's going to want to burn, burn, burn. Um, you know, fire everywhere, chaos. Um, lots of emotions going around in that color, that's just how it runs. So, green is the next color that we're going to be talking about. It gets its power from forests, and its mana symbol is a little tree. It is the color with uh, that is most in tune with nature. It has lots of dryads. It has lots of um, 
elves, wolves, bears, oh my, you know, uh, it's very, very, very nature-y. Green is also seen as the least confrontal of the colors, but it also is very aggressive because you can get things that are six sixes, nine nines. Um, this gives this card plus three plus three. Um, this has trample. Or, for instance, you know, once you have ten or more lands, this gets plus ten plus ten. It can get very threatening. Um, some of the things that green does is anti-flying. There are different cards like Canopy Claws and Plummet, which basically say destroy target flying creature. It does not like flying at all, even though it has creatures that have reach, which can block flying. It does not want flying things around. A creature that, for an example, that has reach is Giant Spider. Another thing it's really good at is artifact and enchantment destruction. It will use artifacts and, um, and enchantments itself, but when it comes to other people playing them, they uh, green does not like that, and green will get rid of it. There's naturalized, tranquility, tempest of light, back to nature. Um, those are all things that really are removal spells for artifacts and enchantments, and it's really just... Um, it, it hates those things. It, there's quite a bit of hate for that. Like white, green can also give plus one plus one counters for each enchantment in play, but it can also give plus one plus one counters to creatures in general and really like ramp up your creatures, but also ramp up your mana base. Green is really good at getting mana out and having dorks. Um, card draw is another thing it's good at. It is really good at getting cards out, um, drawing for cards that you need. It's good at making creature tokens, um, and having an army of creature tokens. White and black are also two colors that are good at that. Um, land destruction, green can do pretty good in, like, land stealing. Um, and... Green overall is just really good for playing additional lands. It has hexproof, which means that creatures cannot be um, targeted by spells or abilities, except for ones that their owners control. There's also like temporary growth, which is plus X plus X until end of turn, uh, like giant growth or monstrous growth. Trample, I already talked about, and green is also really good at trample and having creatures that have trample. Um, uncounterability is this can't be countered, and it makes sense because green is one of the enemies of blue, so having blue be very able to counter spells, and green's just over here like, nah, this can't be countered. That's not gonna happen. Um, along with that, green is also one of the colors that had a lot of um, poison counters, which I talked about before, and infect, and it also had really good, um, death touch, which is why I play a lot of black and green death touch, because it makes sense, and it's actually a really great combo. So, now that we've gone over all the colors, you can decide what colors you want to go ahead and build your deck out of. Now, there's many decks that you can build and many formats that you can choose from. Um, and, you know, that, that stuff's all up for you. I'm not going to do a rundown on all the formats and everything, but I will talk a little bit about the color pairing. So, a little bit ago, some sets released that were, um, the Guilds of Ravnica sets and Ravnica Allegiance. So, those gave 
the colors of each of the guilds. You have Golgari, Azorius, Orzov, Rakdos, Gruul, um, Selesnia is another one, Demir, and Boros. I believe that I believe that's all of them. There's probably some that I'm missing. Um, but those are the ones that I can name at the top of my head. And so each one of those is, um, a color combination. Two colors, to be exact. Of course, you could have the shards, which are Temur, Naya, and Abzan. That's three examples of them, um, that have three colors. But we're gonna start with the guilds first. So, Golgari is black and green. Um, Orzov is black and white. Demir is black and blue. Uh, Rakdos is black and red. Blue and white is Azorius. Blue and green is Simic. Blue and red is Izet. Those are the two that I forgot. White and green is Selesnia. White and red is Boros. Green and red is Gruul. And that's all of them. So, when you are making your deck, you can choose any of those two colors. You can choose a monocolor. Or you can go ahead and talk about um, going three colors, which would be Naya, Temur, Abzan, um, those things. So, you can go white, blue, black. You can go white, red, green. You can go blue, red, green. You can go white, green, black. You can go white, red, blue. There's so many color combinations you can do. And you could also go four color, or you could use all five of the colors in a deck. My recommendation for a beginning player is that you should go ahead and only use probably two or three colors as a beginning player, because sometimes mana bases are really hard to work out. The way I make my mana bases, for anyone who wants to know a little bit of a trick, is I count peps. Now, you might be like, okay, what the crap is a pep? So, lay out your cards from um, card cost 1 to card cost whatever, all in order. Then you count how many of each color you have. So, in a deck, if I have, like, 23 green mana and then 21 red uh, mana, I'm going to go ahead and put more green mana than red mana in, in my land base. If the deck is very high-costed, I'm going to probably put more land in than the deck if it's low costed so those are some things that you can do to help round it out along with that you can use dual lands which are lands that will tap for either green or white um selesnia guildgate is it guildgate all those things would help um terramorphic expanse helps get more colors out Building a good mana base is a very important thing in Magic. And it's a very important thing for beginners to learn. Because if beginners don't learn it, then they're not going to be able to work off of it and have a good deck that works together. And works well. And they'll probably end up being either mana flooded or mana screwed. So it's always good that you balance your deck. Now if you ever doubt how much mana is in your deck, you can go ahead and look it up online on how much mana is recommended. And then you could play a couple games and edit how you think it should be edited. I'm going to stop rambling about mana bases now, and I'm going to get back on track to talking about um, how 
to make the game a little bit more fun for teenagers that can't travel. So if you're a teenager and you can't travel, you don't really have a car, or maybe you have your permit, but you don't have a car you could use, or maybe you have your license, so you don't have a car that you can really use, and you want to go out to a competition. Now, you could always ask your parents and be like, hey, can you drive me to this place, to this competition, or, you know, you could ask a friend. But another thing that you can do is you can enter the online competitions, or you could see if you have a local game store near you and do competitions there. Many local game stores will do a Friday Night Magic event, or they'll have certain tournaments once a month, or whatnot. And usually some are very, very good at it. And you might have to pay a small fee, but you can get prizes for it. And this is honestly a very, 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 very good option for people to look into having local game stores. Because before I knew I had a local game store, I was having a really hard time in the magic community and, like, learning all the stuff that you're supposed to learn about it. Once I got um, into my local game store, the people there were told were able to tell me way more about the game than I could have ever learned, even from online. Experience pays a lot more than um, anything else, personally. At least that's what I... That's what I think. Um, so, I'm definitely thinking about taking a little bit turn from teenagers in traveling now to speak about um, cards and proxies real quick. So, cards and proxies are used in decks a lot, especially if they have super expensive cards. Now, you have to always check with the judge or the person there to check if your proxies are okay. Or if you're just playing casual, check and make sure that your friends are okay with it. If you want to get a really nice proxy done, go to iphen.com. He has a lot of good proxies. They only cost five bucks. It's really nice. You'll usually have them within the first couple weeks. Um, it can take some time because he makes them all... Um, makes all, like, the card design by himself, but it's really cool. So, ifen.com, that is I-E-F-E-N-N.com. Um, go give him some love. He is great. Um, and proxies are a great way to save money as long as that they're okayed by whatever you're playing in. Um, especially if it's just casual. They're great for casual as long as your friends are okay with it and you don't have, like, a super powerful card that can completely obliterate everything. Um, but definitely be careful in competitions and stuff. And usually you have to own the card to have a proxy of the card. So competitions are usually out of it for having proxies. So we are just cramming this episode full of information. So real quick, I'm going to do a tiny little review that we talked about. We talked about saving money in the intro for kids to save money uh and adults to save money on cards and and supplies then we went through about each of the colors and what each of them does for newer people because this podcast isn't just supposed to be for older people it's supposed to be about newer people and maybe if you listened in you might have learned something new about like what the color is supposed to represent then we talked a little bit about proxies, we talked about um, the color combinations that you can have. I didn't go very in-depth in those because I want you guys to go explore what colors you like and to just go have fun with the game. The game is meant to be really, really fun. And along with that, lastly, we're going to have a nice wrap-up and we're going to talk about some of the things that were brought 
up to me last episode. So last episode was my very first episode doing this, and I've made some decisions since then that I'm not going to have a co-host. Many of you suggested that I have a co-host because it makes things easier and like it's very nice to bounce off jobs um, and jokes and like a comment on other things. I'm not going to do that. I prefer recording by myself um, and talking about my own experiences and just giving a, a, a perspective. And I try to look at it at every perspective as I get into certain things. I will definitely look at it as other perspectives and not just my own. Along with that, I'm going to be releasing a couple episodes each week. And each week, one of those episodes is going to have a guest speaker. And it's going to be kind of like having a co-host. But as long as I don't run out of guest speakers, we're going to be all good and fine. Um, And I don't think I will because I have a lot of people who have already said that they will definitely come on the show to talk for a little bit. Um, come on the podcast and we'll just talk a little bit, um, about whatever they please. It's really great, and I'm so happy to do that. So, thank you for all your suggestions for a co-host. In the future, I will probably have a co-host hosting this with me, but for right now, I'm gonna stick to having me, myself, and I, and I'm gonna have guest people speaking. Um, and I think it's gonna work out. I'm gonna test it out. Please still give me your feedback. If you really, really think a co-host would help, keep on hammering that in. Um, And eventually, I'm probably going to give in and get a co-host. It's just really hard to find one at times. So, thank you so much, guys, for all of your help and all the suggestions you've given to me so far. I am working on a lot of the stuff that you guys have given suggestions for. This podcast is now available on many platforms, not just on Anchor. It is also available on Spotify. Um in Google Podcast, the music um, store, you could look it up probably, and there's a couple other places that have accepted it into the um, their podcasting websites. I will leave all the links. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and share all the links and everything. You guys give this a like, give it a listen, um, share it, please, please share it. It means so much to me when people share my work. Um, And I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it was kind of a little bit boring just going through some of the basics. But again, if newer players are checking this out, it's going to be great. And I think it will definitely, definitely help some people understand the colors a little bit more and what they do. Um, If you have any suggestions for episodes that you think I should do, please, please tell me. Because I have some planned out right now. But I also want to know what you guys want to hear. What are some things that you guys want me to talk about or discuss? And, like, if you want to be on the show, let me know and I can set up a time with me and you and we can both record. And that would be pretty sweet. So, yeah, let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you want to hear. And I will see you on the next episode of the Magic Academy podcast. This is Tia signing off. Thank you so much, guys. Love you.